Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Anthony Malakian. I'm the U.S. Editor of Waters. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, News Editor of Waters, Jim Rundle. Hello. So today, um, this week it really did seem like it was all about digital cryptocurrencies, whichever term you want to use. All Bitcoin all the time. This yeah. Week. yeah. So this one, this podcast will be heavy on that in the beginning. Um, we're going to talk about that. We'll touch on some big developments on uh, LIBOR, um, which the big developments I don't understand, so I'll leave James to describe that. And then uh, we're going to talk a little politics and then a little Game of Thrones. I did warn you last week, by the way, that you reap what you sow, and people told us they like the politics, so yeah. it's coming back. Yeah, more politics so, now. Yeah, now yeah. it's just now it's just my, my form the rant now, I guess. <laughs> um, so digital currencies, um, I guess just to let you know a little bit about how the sausage made – one of my favorite things about this is, so about a week ago, uh, James and I were at the bar. We we're talking about, ah, you know, it would be great if we could get your digital. He's writing a feature, long feature he'd been working on for a while, um, looking at the digital currency space and how asset managers are towing around it, I guess. Um, and be like, God, it would be great if we could really get this up, you know, and stuff. But, you know, it's got to go through the editing process. And because it's the water's rankings issue, you know, the, the, it was a slog kind of getting through the editing process just, you know, to go through all the different hurdles that it has to go through, um, which made it very funny that last week, not a lot of news going on in the space per se. <laughs> this week, whole lot of news going on in the space. Literally everything. I swear to God, it's like people knew I was publishing this feature and thought, how can we really <laughs> screw him over in the best possible way? I mean, the best part is the SEC. Why don't you tell him a little bit about the SEC? Yeah, the Let's SEC start off with that. The SEC was the best bit. So one of the uh, the real joys of working as a reporter for a magazine is you get long deadlines. You can really go to town on a feature. Um, when I used to work in newspapers, it was a case of like literally just bang a story out, bang a story out, never go into depth. Monthly magazines, you get a long time. So... That's nice. He gets to put the story together, really talk to a lot of people. Problem with that is that, as you said, the editing process leaves a big stage from when you file the story to when sure. it gets published. So uh, I'm sitting there fighting fires all the way through the week going, oh, God, I've referenced this in the story. It's actually happened this week, so I'm going back in and change it now. But I'm feeling pretty confident. And I'm like, the gist of the story is, yeah, as you said about asset managers towing the water, but also a big thrust of it is how um, it's essentially stupid to invest in it because it's not regulated. Uh, so... Me and Tony finally get the uh, the story through, and then about four thirty, I think, the day before. Um, yeah, because we were like, okay, we're gonna hold this off till Thursdays because we got to, you know this, so let's just wait a day, I think. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so we thought we got time, it's fine. And then four thirty, I get this email from the SEC going, uh, SEC classes digital assets as investments, and I'm just thinking, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. That's the joy of being a journalist, trying to shoehorn things at the last minute when people decide to uh, not adhere to your publishing guidelines. So I guess um, let's uh, let's break it down a little bit. Let's start with the feature. We'll get into a little bit about the SEC. Yeah. Um, so the feature, uh, for what it's worth, is called uh, Shaky Foundations Hindered Digital Currencies, one of the top stories on the site right now, and also a masterful um, Photoshopped image yeah. of an iceberg with a Bitcoin symbol on it, a ship. The USS uh, asset management is is a work of art. I think the SS asset management is now the new mascot of waters. Yeah, um, SS yeah. asset management. We're all heading for glacier. I mean, I want uh, a professional illustrator <laughs> to do it, but yeah. you know, gosh, <laughs> I don't need that now, do I? Cheers, Tony. So, um, you know, it looks at some of the market structure flaws that exist in the cryptocurrency space. So, I guess maybe to start off with. Um, 
is it worth discussing how these digital currency exchanges work, you know, kind of for a lay person maybe to start off with? Yeah, I think so. So um, digital currencies are decentralized generally. It means there's no central exchange in the same way you'd have like a stock market or something like that. Uh, they're traded person to person or peer to peer, depending on how you want to say it. Um, and it all passes through the blockchain, which verifies and records the transactions between each participant. Um, I didn't go into the blockchain this feature. Um, there are things called digital currency exchanges, however, where you um, can exchange, say, Bitcoin for the US dollar, or you can exchange it for another digital currency like Litecoin or Ether or something like that as well. Um, these exchanges haven't had the best history. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a few years ago, most of you probably heard of Mt. Gox that handled something like 70% of all Bitcoin transactions and then uh, lost everyone's Bitcoin. Um, it, just, it happens. It happens. I think uh, the trial's actually going on right now um, around that. Uh, and then since then, a few more professional exchanges have been set up, but they still have issues. Um, so one of the hooks for my feature was about the Ether flash crash, which took place in the June, where... Um, the price of Ether flash crashed from $320 to $0.10 cents in the course of like 45 milliseconds. But since uh, since a lot of the way that digital exchanges work is uh, often people trade on margins. So they put collateral up and they leverage their position in order to get like a higher position and get better returns. Because this happened so quickly, people literally logged in one moment, they're fine. Logged in the next and their entire portfolio were wiped out. Yeah. So um, that kind of started promising questions about market structure and how it works in the digital currency space. And what I found from talking to a lot of asset managers, um, a few regulators, some analysts who study this space, is that yeah, there are some pretty significant flaws right now. Yeah, one of the things I liked, uh, one good quote I thought that it kind of encapsulated a lot of the challenges that exist in the market is uh, Paul Gordon, CEO of uh, Digital Currency Liquidity Aggregator, uh, Quantave? Quantave. Quantave, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> For young growing, uh, this is a quote from Ball. For young growing but relatively small markets, already very fragmented, one of the key issues that we see is that the exchange model that's used pretty broadly across the ecosystem today is very siloed, and the operators tend to act as the custodian of client assets, as the exchange platform, and as the broker as well in terms of interfacing directly with their customers. So that's a flaw. Something that you had mentioned before that basically they're serving all these different functions and that it kind right. of creates and some issues. In most developed mature securities markets, those are separated and for very good reason. I mean, you don't want the exchange being the custodian in case something happens to the exchange. You don't want your broker being the custodian of assets as well for various uh, conflict reasons. Um, not suggesting that those exist uh, with these exchanges, of course, uh, but it's not an ideal scenario, especially when you start to bring an in institutional money, which has various rules around how um, how they can invest, and there's rules around the segregation of assets and how those are kept as well. It makes it very difficult for, uh, I guess, big money to really enter the space. And then, you know, one of the other quotes kind of touched back on the Mt. Gox um, thing you said, but um, um, one portfolio manager, an asset manager, uh, one portfolio manager, an asset management firm. Uh, said, um, you look at what happened with Ether and at Mt. Gox, you see outages almost every week, and you want me to put my client's money there? There's no way. Um, yeah. We're not regulated like the big banks, but we have rules where we have to follow around asset segregation, custodians, everything else, particularly in Europe. Um, and that was from a New York-based uh, um, uh, And this is firm. the thing, yeah. I mean, if you read a lot of the, uh, the Bitcoin trade titles, a lot of the kind of specialist newsletters that come out, you can get the impression that asset managers, institutional managers, hedge funds are all there already, and that's not really the case. I mean, you get specialist vehicles, so I think I quoted a couple of them in there. Um, 
but the ones who are actually actively managing big portfolios of people's money are just looking at this and going, there's no way, absolutely yeah. not. Like, why would I do this? Like, It's basically how I, I know nothing about nothing, and that's how I'm like, this is, the, the swings are so it's not it's crazier than Texas Hold'em, man. You know, it's intense, man, yeah. It's, uh, even uh, in Bitcoin, the most stable currency, that's gone from, I think in February it was $1,300, and now it's something like, it went to over 3000 in June. I mean, yeah. that great if you're on the winning side of it, like crappy if you're on the short side of it. Although, sure. You know, uh, there's no way to hedge as well because there's no developed derivatives markets involved. Um, there's no prime brokerage function as such. Um, makes it very tough for any kind of market making to get involved. And coming back to the Ether um, flash crash, which I was talking about earlier, and what serves as the lead for this feature, that was kind of what this revealed. So that flash crash happened because um, somebody went to the GDAX exchange and in the Ether dollar pair, mm -hmm. just put a massive market order in to sell, like something like 12 million, I think, or something like that. Uh, and a market order obviously sells at the market price until the order is filled. Um, and there's such a scant level of liquidity that just sucked up one entire side of the group and just let <laughs> everything fall off the cliff. And you just, I, mean, you could, I was talking to a couple of these asset management guys, and they were just like, yeah, look, look, there's absolutely no way. I mean, losing a couple of cents on a trade is hard enough, but when you're going from $320 to 10 cents, like, no, no chance, you know. Let me ask a stupid question, as I'm prone to do. Um, are there two things that need to happen, I guess, um, with what we've seen just even after a flash crash of 2010, mm. you know, circuit breakers, and then I know something else you mentioned in the article uh, relating to the Ether crash is just maximum order limits. Um, is that what needs to happen, or why hasn't that happened, I guess, maybe? I think it's just because it's immature, the market infrastructure. Um, I think has to have, I don't think it had to have that in place before now. And also, I think to be fair, if you look at um, even developed securities markets before the flash crash, and limit up, limit down orders and single stock circuit breakers were relatively rare. Um, they got put in place and mandated after the flash crash. So when something goes wrong, it tends to prompt change. Until people have to do it, I guess they tend not to. Uh, also, I guess it's slightly different because, um, you know, when we talk about circuit breakers and we talk about single stock circuit breakers, we're primarily talking about stock markets, right? And this sure. is more of a currency commodity market. So you're talking about pairs, you're talking about everything else. So price bands are probably more appropriate, I guess. So what is a natural level of volatility? Which, of course, in digital currencies, though, could mean anything from $0 to $350 in a day. So, you know, it's hard to gauge that, I guess. And so, as we mentioned, the SEC, um, the they suggested that some digital currencies and share offerings that use uh, blockchain systems uh, may qualify as securities and therefore fall, fall under federal laws. Um, the first time that regulator that the, that uh, the SEC has explicitly extended its reach into this uh, asset class. Mm. Um, so Jim also wrote up that story, and so he wrote four stories this week <laughs> on digital currencies. Literally yes. several thousand words on digital <laughs> currencies. Um, this SEC announcement, reading tea leaves i guess what what should our readers know about what that could mean going forward in this yeah. in this discussion what the sec is essentially doing is putting everyone on notice and it's saying look you guys might think you're operating in a gray area but you're not if it looks like a duck and it walks like a duck it's a duck guys. Yeah. <laughs> if you're putting money into something and then expecting to gain money back from profits based on the performance of the company or the efforts of management that is an investment, and therefore it is subject to federal securities laws. Mm -hmm. It needs to be registered with the SEC. There needs to be all kinds of audits around it and everything else. The SEC, of course, only regulates U.S. persons involved in this. A lot of initial coin offerings, um, including the DAO, actually, which uh, prompted the investigation, are marketed outside of the U.S. Um, and there's been a few 
response articles since then saying, oh, you know, the, the craze for ICOs hasn't died down. There's been 20 launched since the SEO and, uh, SEC announcement. Yeah. Um, I think it'll have a more stringent long-term effect. Um, the way securities regulation tends to work is not necessarily on domestic level anymore. It's on a wider international scale. Uh, regulators, I think, demand equivalent rules to a certain extent. So if you've got the US saying, we're going to start putting some structures around ICOs, they're going to expect Europe to follow suit. Sure. And Europe tends to anyway, I think, as a result. So um, the Jap uh, Japanese Financial Services Authority is also doing some stuff around this in October. Yeah. So you're starting to see regulatory moves to rein this in a little bit, which is good because, um, you know, one guy I spoke to for that news story just went, there's a lot of dumb money in this market. And yeah. people don't know what they're signing up for half the time, you know. Um, I have some friends who message me going, oh, I'm going to put some money into Bitcoin. I'm just, don't do that. You know, it's <laughs> like, or I'm going to fund this ICO because I think I'm going to make loads of money off it. If you look at Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather. You know, yeah. Said the same thing, like the day after the SEC made an announcement. I'm just wondering if his legal team had seen the, uh, the SEC. I don't think notices. Floyd has much of a financial legal team going for him right no, now. Uh, <laughs> was, yeah. you're, you're too busy handling his IRS uh, concerns. Uh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the whole point of this is like, look, this is the basic mission of a regulator is investor protection, right? And there's been no protection in this market. And that's kind of the point what my feature makes as well, is the fact that people do get involved with this, but it is kind of at their own risk at this point because it's not grown up enough. It can be grown up enough in the future. One guy I spoke to from Global Advisors who uh, described themselves with digital asset management now, uh, sorry, digital asset management firm now, but were commodity um, you know, trade advisors and stuff before. They say the same thing happened uh, during the 90s with oil, where you started to see special purpose vehicles coming in, little methods by the exchanges, and eventually it evolved into an asset class that's investable. Some people I spoke to questioned that and said, you know, Bitcoin is very different, digital currency is very different, but then you might see that happen in the future as regulators become to be involved. And then is there anything that maybe didn't make the publication that, you know, you think is just interesting, just even on the side? Yeah, I mean, there's another story which I did this week actually on LedgerX. Um, mm -hmm. So LedgerX is a swap execution facility and a designated clearing organization. Um, they originally filed for recognition by the CFTC in 2014. They finally got that through this month, both for the CEF and for the for the DCO as well. And they're planning to offer Bitcoin options out to three months initially, but then they're going to expand after that into different swaps and uh, different sort of currencies as well. Sure. And, What's interesting about this is that um, this is the first kind of real federally regulated um, entity or market infrastructure really around Bitcoin that's going to start to offer a properly regulated derivatives layer, which is what people say it lacks. So people can't hedge Bitcoin because there aren't really options on it, there aren't forwards on it, um, futures, what have you. This kind of gives the opportunity to do that, and it's got a good pedigree, like Paul Chu, the CEO. He's a former quant at Goldman Sachs. Um, they've got Mark Weijin, who used to be the uh, acting commissioner, acting chairman, sorry of the CFTC on their board. Um, so yeah, be interesting to see what happens. Okay. And so again, tons written this week. Um, if you don't really, if you are an expert in the field and know it very well, there's a lot of good information in there for you. If you are, you know, kind of new to the center, trying to get your head around what these digital currencies might mean for financial services going forward, there's that there. And so basically this week worth of coverage from uh, James can uh, catch you up on on all the things you might have missed. And so you can sound like uh, halfway intelligent um, at your next uh, board meeting. So we'll link to those stories. Definitely go check them out. Um, not making maybe as much noise over here, but certainly is a big uh, movement. The UK Financial Conduct Authority. Um, 
said that um, the LIBOR uh, benchmark uh, will be phased out within four to five years um, as and they're going to be seeking a replacement for this. I don't know what any of that means, Jim. Why explain <laughs> to us? So LIBOR um, is one of the world's key reference rate, underpins most derivatives contracts, um, but also most mortgages, most consumer loans, auto loans. A lot of if you look in the contract in the small print of your loan, it'll often say the interest rate is X basis plus LIBOR, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And LIBOR is um, essentially the, the average rate at which banks can obtain short-term loans from each other in the overnight market. So what it costs a bank to borrow from its peers in the interbank market. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's set every day, now by ICE Benchmark Administration, formerly by the British Bankers Association. And uh, I think if you have been paying any attention to financial services over the last few years and the fines that have gone through from banks, a lot of this was to do with how people were essentially rigging LIBOR. So the banks yeah. would estimate their cost to borrow from somewhere else, and they say, oh, that's that. But then uh, they started to realize that a lot of the derivatives positions were kind of fixed on what LIBOR was set at that day, so they'd nudge it up and nudge it down to pay on their position to help their traders out. And how open they were about this in their emails and stuff like that was, was phenomenal. There's actually there's a great book um, by a former colleague of mine called David Enrich um, called The Spider Network. Um, so it follows the story of Tom Hayes, who was sort of seen as being the ringleader of this and he worked for UBS and City out of their Japan office um, and it really goes into kind of the mindset and the psychology of the traders who were doing this at the time and a lot of them actually you know thought that this was just how things were done and they didn't realize it was a it was necessarily a fraudulent thing to do mm -hmm. um, it's almost institutional fraud you know illicit activities yeah. where you just it's oh it's the way it's done and things it's have always been, been done this way exactly yeah I mean, how much that's believable and how much it isn't is a very different story mm -hmm. um and also you know there was a lot of involvement or alleged involvement from senior management which never really sort of got caught up anyway um that whole scandal resulted in billions of dollars in fines for all the big banks brokers and everything else um some of the court cases are still going on actually over it um so ICE Benchmark, so the FCA took over oversight of LIBOR in 2013, I think, and then ICE, the Intercontinental Exchange Group, which runs the NISE and, and various other venues, um, took over administration of the benchmark in 2014, and they've done a lot of work to reform it, so they're trying to move it to more of a transaction-based benchmark, so it's not just banks saying this is what our position is, it's based on actual transactions. But what um, the FCA has been saying is, um, you know, despite these efforts, the interbank market and turn loaning to each other and stuff has actually been relatively depressed since the financial crisis and you can't get the level of transactions required in order to actually get that figure you need so a lot of it is still based on supposition essentially. Sure. Um, the American authorities have been looking at an alternative rate for some time I think they've decided on a broad treasury repo rate instead which gives to them more of an indication um, of where sort of the healthiness of the sector is um, the FCA is looking at a different benchmark called SONIA this has some problems that need to be reformed. So both benchmarks are problems. So with the repo rate, you often find that there's a lot of crowding towards the end of financial reporting periods, yeah. um, where people sort of stack their assets and everything else inside there. With Sonia, um, the derivatives based on Sonia are a lot less liquid than they were in LIBOR as well. So it's very difficult to get a full picture of the market. But anyway, this is the uh, this is a really big step forward for the FCA, which essentially said we're going to stop relying on LIBOR by 2021. Um, we're going to use something else. Um, this is LIBOR's kind of you know retirement notice now. So yeah, big times, big moves. Um, something that really defined the big sort of you know post-crisis scandal period um, yeah. is being put out to pasture. So yeah. is there any 
you know, mo- most, so this is a free uh, podcast to listen to. It's not behind the Waters Technology Paywall. Um, it's available on iTunes and SoundCloud. So even if you don't really know what Waters is, you may stumble upon it. Like, oh, I like to listen to FinTech News, whatever that may be. Um, but most of our readers, most of our listeners are in the technology space, are technologists. Is there any sort of technology implication that maybe uh, people are going to have to start considering now as we head into this five-year process of switching away? Oh, huge, yeah. I mean, anybody who, uh, uh, on a very basic level, anyone who deals with derivatives pricing, for instance, um, is going to have to do something with their systems. Um, whatever the new reference rate is, is going to have to be plugged in the same way that LIBOR was. Uh, huge technology overhauls inside banks, particularly on the derivatives desks, but also on um, the consumer and retail side as well. Um, and you know lo- the problem with LIBOR and what they say in this piece is that four to five years might not even be enough to phase out because it's just so pervasive in the financial system. Everything really is, is called the world's most important number. Mm-hmm. Everything is based off LIBOR. So detaching that from the underlying systems that reference it, um, from the calculation engines that use it, and everything else is going to be a long slog and long effort. And if there isn't uh, an adequate replacement here already, that makes it a bit tougher, I guess, because they're going to have to go through the form of that, and then the final form will have to be plugged in as well. So, yeah. so basically, what you're saying is about three years from now, four years from now, our reporters in London will be like, "All right, you're going to start cranking out features on this basically <laughs> every other uh, month." Start getting familiar with Sonia. I think more for our <laughs> colleagues on uh, on Risk.net who will be all over sure. us like a cheap suit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so check those stories out. Uh, again, we will link to them. Um, the other big, the biggest piece of news, certainly, and. The United States is the attempted uh, repeal of Obamacare by Senate Republicans. Um, yet again, uh, their effort failed. You know, the Washington Post called it the most dramatic night in Senate history. Apparently, That's I mean, it's it it was pure Americana right mm-hmm. there. I felt like yo. Know, the the old line, you know, it, it's uh, John McCain, the the, oh, the the maverick, the way he did it, strolling well. up to the <laughs> to the to the day, said, so, you know, three in the morning, whatever it was, holding out his hand, giving the thumbs down, going no, no, and uh, he joined uh, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, uh, the other two Republicans, to um, thwart this what's called a skinny repeal of of Obamacare, um, the American uh, Care Act. Is that what it's called? Affordable Health Care Affordable, yeah. No, that's the AH, what's the ACA? The Affordable Care Act. Yeah, there we go, okay. Um, Whatever. Uh, (laughs) So, the thing I found, again, the theatrics of it were fantastic. It's very American in the, the theatrics of it all. Um, and the best thing is, I was getting quite disappointed with the season of American political television as well. Like, you know, there were some people making weird decisions, some new characters I didn't quite like. Yeah. This really brought it back for the I mean, real life finale. is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're just toying with people's healthcare, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> so, what I was found most amusing about this, amusing, probably not the right word, but um, most of my friends are between medium left to hard left um, mm-hmm. on the political spectrum, and they are acting like this was a huge win. To me, this was this was a win against insanity because I did not agree with Obamacare. I thought the whole implementation process, I did not care for any of it. I don't think it's a very well-built uh, system, and we're seeing that right now, that, it, that there are a lot of problems, and you can blame the Republicans on a lot of those problems. I fully understand that, but 
you know, you can't repeal something without having some sort of replacement. It no. just puts too many people in the lurch and with, with just way too many questions and insurance cannot run on that many question marks. We're seeing Obamacare is failing largely because there are so many question marks and insurance companies just don't want to make any moves or they're, they're just there's too much frozen right now because of this uh, political process yeah. that we're seeing. And this is the, 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 the problem I think is resulting from all of these issues where Democrats count as a win and actually it's just kicking the can further down the road as you keep seeing these rapid replacements come before the Senate and become the House and everything yeah. else. So, you know, you got your bill, great. There are problems with the bill. Go back and change it. But if you get a bill and it gets defeated, now it's what we're going to do a skinny repeal instead of we're going to do this, so we're going to do that, which can't have taken them more than a few hours to formulate and put back before the chamber. I mean, you know, this is something that, you know, we joked about it just now, about, you know, screwing over the healthcare is funny, but it is something that affects millions upon millions of Americans yeah. on a daily basis. And Both Republicans and Democrats. Exactly, regardless of political stripe. The one thing I, I don't care for is this, this idea that, oh, well, the Republicans... They're, they just want to kill 22 million Americans. That's what they want. They want to make sure that 22 Americans just get screwed over hard by this and just completely have no health care and that they'll die sooner so that there'll be more money for us. Or right. I don't know what this, this thinking this is, is bullshit, here. bullshit, right? I mean, they're not history's greatest monsters. Me. Exactly. <laughs> they see that this system, it's not working the way it is. They never agreed with the way it was set up. Hmm. They just, Democrats had much more, more numbers after a uh, Obama was elected. And Obama was maybe a bit too much of a crusader to get it through without realizing there are problems. And, and as Freeman He wanted to be the president that got the universal health care passed. And he right? thought yeah. that it would grow from there. And, and I, God bless you. you know, that's yeah. what he thought. And, and now there's a lot of people, there are a lot of Republicans now that kind of are starting to view uh, a universal health care as a universal right. That health care right. is a universal right. That and that's the big thing, isn't it? Right. The, 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 the the actual legislation itself was flawed, and anybody who looks at that can tell you that, especially for the basic fact that if you don't have it, you get fined, which is just backwards and yeah. stupid. But what it did was it really moved the dial of conversation from should we introduce healthcare to okay, we've got healthcare, let's talk about how we can change it. And for yeah. me, that is a paradigm shift in the conversation in American society about healthcare, and that's what it's really done. So last night wasn't necessarily some sort of a win, it was really th th the ACA needs massive reforms serious reforms mm -hmm. this thing donald trump is not you know as much as i cannot stand that man and i just really hate him <laughs> um and i'm a republican um he is correct that this thing is going to crumble mm -hmm. and it's not going to be good both sides of the party need to come together both the republican democrats really need to come together and we need to stop with this whole the republicans went into this election saying we're going to repeal and replace repeal and replace well you have no replacement you had seven and a half years to build a yeah. replacement you don't have that so that's fine keep the name obamacare keep the aca name let's stop trying to come up with fancy a acronyms well, I think obamacare was a republican moniker put on it i think yeah exactly so, yeah. yeah um let's just start to figure out ways of making incremental changes amendments to this bill so that we can improve it and add some sort of um, at least a couple of years out into advance yeah. um, of stability into this marketplace. Because right now we are holding way too many lives under siege for political pretext that we're just saying, oh, well, no, we have to repeal and replace. You don't have a replacement. Yeah. So you don't have to do this. And also you don't have to repeal as well. I mean, yeah. not even not talking about Obamacare necessarily here, but this whole thing that happens with uh, with two-party systems or sometimes coalition systems where 
one government comes in, stays for two terms, puts a lot of sweeping changes in. The next government comes in, repeals it, changes it all back. The next government comes in, repeals yeah. it, and changes it all. It's stupid. It has to be bipartisan, and like you know, John McCain, God bless him. Like I, <laughs> I don't agree with his politics, uh, but I've always respected him, like for the way he conducts himself. And last night, hopefully, he put the sign out saying, "Okay, right." I've acted bipartisan on this. Now maybe you guys can sit down. Well, and that's what I think now needs to happen is because the one thing is the Democrats, you know, they very much, they're very much, no, we we love this. This is our bill. If this gets repealed, then it, it kind of, it's going to hurt Obama's legacy and stuff yeah. like that. Let's move past this. We have this bill. It now needs to have, it now needs major, major overall. It has to have a major role. If, you th- if you're sitting there thinking that this bill, is that the ACA is built right now, is going to be good and lasting for a long time, you are insane. Yeah. Last night was not a win for health care. It just was a win against insanity. And what I'm hoping we're going to see next is that um, the Health Education, Labor, and Pensions Help Committee of the Senate, um, that they will be now brought in it's a fairly uh, bipartisan committee um, but it's uh, chaired by Tennessee Republican Lamar Alexander that they come in and that they start building the constructs of where do we need to focus our attention to make immediate improvements I thought that um, John McCain uh, in a statement afterwards uh, he said uh, congressman to now return to the correct way of legislating and send the bill back to committee hold hearings receive input from both sides of the aisle, heed the recommendation of nation's governors, such an important part when we're saying that we're going to be dumping tons of costs onto individual states, and produce a bill that finally delivers affordable health care for the American people. Look, this is how politics has always worked in the past. You know, this is the basic process of how things get done. I I, I don't know why it's suddenly switched in the last 15 years to being something where the Republicans work on a bill without hearings and put it through, or the Democrats do, or whatever. Yeah, It's like, I mean... It's 9-11, isn't it? That's what's happened. It's, it's done something to the nation's brain, like a form of political mad cow disease or something. I, well, I mean, the election of Obama just set some so many people off in this yeah, country. Obama and, Obama yeah. and 9-11, those two yeah. things have just done something to the way discourse happens in this country. And it needs to go back to a more uh, bipartisan, collegiate approach well, to making laws. And the one thing is that we are seeing, I've had, and maybe now this is where I'm just too pro-America, but... Um, the system is working. You have the House, which is always irresponsible. You have just absolute morons in the in the House. Yeah, you have to get elected every two yeah, years. And yeah. you know, so they're just they're whatever. They're yeah. throwing stuff at the wall, and they, they appeal to their most extreme bases. And that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to hear the crazy, you know, and stuff like that, and just throw everything yeah. at the wall. The Senate is the responsible uh, chamber, and they acted in a responsible manner. And again, not every senator that wants to do away with ACA, just is looking to kill poor people. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, we can start having a dialogue here without saying, 22 million people are going to die because of you. <laughs> let's get past that. Yeah, let's let's try people and start to have say, yeah. a better dialogue here now. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're screwed and we're going to go, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my rant on that. Hopefully, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I don't know, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, but let's end on a little bit of fun. Um, Game of Thrones. Yep. And episode two. Weekly. weekly. Yeah, I feel like now, you know, just just for the few of you out there that do want to hear from us on this. Yeah. Um, um, pretty pretty busy episodes. Well, sort of um, busy towards the end, I guess, and not so much. Yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting pieces. So first of all, if you are such a fan of the Stark 
clan. Obviously spoilers, by the way. If you, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, come on now. Uh, <laughs> then so many people were excited to see that Arya, rather than go to King's Landing, it now looks like she's going to go yeah. go back home, I mean, I be reunited. When I was watching that scene, I was going, go left, go left, go left, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so everybody's happy about that. As usual, Arya can't make up her mind as what she wants to do. She can't follow through on anything, <laughs> hence why all the Starks die, because... They can't stick to a plan. No. They can't. They just, they're just they just too all over the place. So she's probably going to be killed at some point. Uh, <laughs> Most, more than likely, yeah. But really set me off about the episode. Good episode. I really enjoyed the episode. But we've been building up that the Iron Fleet is this incredible fleet, mm. okay? And that Daenerys, once she got um, Yaria, Yara, whatever how you say her name, and then uh, Dorne and uh, what is her name, uh, Lena or whatever, once you had that kind of pairing, okay, we now have the numbers we have built. You've got the plan, right? Yeah. They were going to attack Kin's Landing. The rest of them are going to go to Castle Rock and, like, you know, just kick the shit out of yeah. the houses. Yeah, they, they know what they're going to do. Uncle Euron, apparently in a matter of a week or two, builds a much better fleet than already existed somehow because they said that they stole all of our best ships. And he's like, well, go make us more ships. Yeah. In a matter of just like that. I, I was always in the impression it was a thinly populated, like, relatively naturally resource challenged string of islands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. God, if you could build ships that easily, why didn't you do this before and just really destroy everything? I, mean, I know there's some time like they had to sail from there to um wherever Daenerys is. I mean the Game of Thrones has always played fast and there's yeah. geography, so you know, sometimes it doesn't take anybody any time to get yeah. anywhere. And other times it'll take them years. But um I don't know if it's been like a year or something since that happened. Like well, you know what it was? It was so. Euron is such a great leader that he inspired his people, thus showing that uh, Yara should not have been the queen of the Ironborn. Right. It was Euron who inspired him to create an even better fleet than they already had, which wiped out Yara. Wiped out the... Um, the, the Dorn sisters there, the ones oh, that yeah. were supposed to be these badass, you know, the interesting kick thing is butt. The, the Dorn army is still there. It's just the sisters who got killed. Right? Yeah, well, so, the sisters didn't do much of a fight there, is all I'm saying. Did the older one get killed? Because I know that the last scene was, like, one of them impaled on a, on yeah. a mast and the other one hanging from it. But I don't know if those were the, like, the sand, whatever you call them, snakes. Uh, or whether it was the older one who was, the, like, the ambassador or whatever. Maybe, or like, okay. Well, maybe one gets, okay. Still, I wasn't impressed with the fight there. You know, they got... They got they, they got so easily wiped out. And then from just a shooting perspective, Battle of the Bastards is one of the greatest shot battle scenes that you've ever seen, filmed battle scenes that you've ever seen. This one was just like bright lights and quick cuts, and it, it just yeah. seemed very lazy. And I just... saw what they were trying to do. Like this, well, but I saw what they were trying to get away with, I should actually say. Um, you know, kind of the fog of war and how confusing naval battles actually are at close quarters and that kind of thing. We all understood it was because you're saving the budget, guys. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> like, if you're going to do it, just do it properly. Just don't have like kind of I don't know museum style effects of like things going off in the distance just show us the ships yeah like yeah just give me a sea battle I'm all for a good sea battle I yeah. mean yeah but I can't I can't imagine if they went to HBO and said can we have some more money to do this please HBO would go no yeah it's just, you know. I think that they, they've uh, been earning their keep in a lot of it's, ways it's, I think someone was saying the day it's the most popular drama series um it's in well, obviously at the moment, but I think either since The Sopranos or more popular than The Sopranos, which is like one of the most popular in history. Yeah, so. sure. I mean, I w it wouldn't surprise me more people. I mean, just as many people talk about Sopranos in my circles anyway. That yeah. do which is uh, amazing as well. If you think about what reputation fantasy, um, you know, the literature has uh, nerdy Dungeons and Dragons type yeah. thing, and no one gave it the time of day. And then Game of Thrones somehow just came across all of those boundaries, and just I don't know how they did it, but it's pretty incredible. 
So great storyline again. Sansa is also queen of the North now. Now yeah, Jon sure Snow is going to go. go. Well. Well, she's the most useless character in Game yeah. of Thrones. L- literally, all she does is have things happen to her, then walk somewhere. And have Arya will to kill her. her. Go heal. We'll take her face. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd yeah. be pretty great. Be yeah. great. Yeah. yeah I, I don't like the Starks, but um, and again, I'm rooting for Euron here, saying he's a great leader. I, mean, I don't know what this all says about me. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe yeah. I am an asshole. Sympathy for the devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should go quite like that. Let's be honest. Yeah, That's exactly. Um, all right. Well, that's all I got for this week. Uh, James, you got anything else? No, good. That's good for me. All right. Um, next week, I'll be leaving for vacation halfway through the week, but we will be back with a podcast um, and a uh, truncated version of, you know, try not to do anything cool next week, I guess, uh, if you guys are going to do some new stuff. Uh, yeah. Save it for the back end. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all. Have a good day. Cheers.